Well, this morning, we're starting a new series in the book of Psalms. And we've entitled this series, Unlocking the Riches of God's Truth. And what a blessing the Psalms have been to God's people throughout the ages. In the Old Testament, the Psalms were used specifically in the temple to praise the Lord in worship and song. And then we see in the New Testament that the Psalms were continued to be used as song in worship to the Lord, but also to be memorized and to be used in corporate worship and corporate readings as well. We can see throughout history, God used the book of Psalms to shape the greatest of men. For example, we can look at the eve of the Protestant Reformation and see a young Augustinian monk named Martin Luther who was studying Romans and Psalms simultaneously. And Steve Lawson says this about Luther. It was these two books of Scripture that radically transformed Luther's life and changed the course of human history. While Romans would principally formulate his doctrine, it was the Psalms that dramatically emboldened him to proclaim God's message to the world. In other words, Lawson says, Romans gave Luther his theology, but it was Psalms that gave him his thunder. The Psalms gave a towering view of God so much that in the preaching the gospel, he was ready to fight the devil himself if need be. These two books, Psalms and Romans, laid the foundation for what is known as the Protestant Reformation, end quotes. So like Luther's day, we are in need of a modern day reformation, a transformation of hearts and minds to passionately, zealously live for Christ. And let me say, reformation has always started with God's people. That means reformation begins with us. It begins in our homes. It begins how we honor God in the family, how we train our children how we use our spare time, how we live in the corporate body of Christ, in the local church. That's how Reformation begins. And this is what I hope this series does for us. As God used the Psalms to turn the world upside down 500 years ago, I pray God uses this series in Psalms to turn our hearts upside down today as well, to set our hearts on fire, to set our hearts aflame for Christ and his word. So I ask you, church, what comes to mind when you think of the book of Psalms? Psalms gives the picture of the ups and downs, the struggles, the blessings, the joys and the sadness of life in real time. Psalm takes us into the reality of the darkest of nights and lifts us up to the highest of heights, the brightest of days. Psalms expresses some of the deepest feelings and emotions that we experience in this life. It's as if someone is listening to our conversations a fly in the wall, if you may, Talking, taking notes on our most intimate conversations that we have with others. The Psalms knows you. The Psalms knows me. The Psalms knows us. It talks about what we think about. The Psalms knows how we feel. 
the Psalms ask questions that we ponder about life, about God, about ourselves. Psalm gives us hope, courage, and strength when the odds are against us. Psalms turns our attention off of ourselves and on to magnify and glorify our sovereign God. There are many well-known sections of the Bible that are found in Psalms as well. Our minds go to the Psalm 23 that gives us hope when death is knocking at the door. Or Psalm 119 that gives us a high view of the scriptures and shows the importance of why we need to meditate and spend time in the word of God. Or we could go to Psalm 139 that declares the sovereignty of God and how he loves us and cares for us. As we read in Psalm 139, it tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. What I'm trying to say is that we will be blessed as we go through this book called Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 1 this morning. Open up to Psalm 1 where we'll begin. As we start, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. What a blessing it is to come together corporately and worship you, to sing praises to you, to you Father. We thank you for the worship team and, and how they lead us to praise you, to see you clear, to have a bigger view of you as we sing Christ-centered, God-honoring songs. Father, I ask that as I preach, Father, that you would work through me in a way that we will have a higher view of you, a higher view of your word, a closer relationship with Christ. I ask that you convict us where we are blinded to our sin, even at this moment. Open our eyes. Let us have clean hearts as David begged you. Help us to be people like that. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 1, and it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we learn in Psalm 1 what it looks like to have a blessed life, a life that is fulfilled, a life that is satisfied, and it's a life that finally leads to eternal life with Christ. And then the psalmist gives us the other side, the opposite perspective, a life that is full of sorrow, suffering, and pain, a life that leads to eternal damnation. And we read in Psalm 1, we recognize there's no wiggle room, there's no neutral position in this psalm. We learn from Psalm 1 that we just have two ways to live life, only two. It reminds me of that classic movie, 
called The Matrix, which I'm sure most of us have seen the movie The Matrix as Neo, the main character, has the choice to either take the blue pill or the red pill, right? And the blue pill will make Neo see and experience life as it really is. He will have to face the worst of his fears. He will have many battles and strife in the future, and he knows this if he takes the blue pill. But he will see the truth. He will see life as it really is. Or Neo has the option to take the red pill which will let him feel like life is great. It will make all his worries and cares disappear. It will blind him of reality. He will be living in a make-believe world as the red pill causes him to see life through rose-colored glasses. Well, we know. We know the conclusion of this story because Neo chooses the blue pill and goes on to battle. He goes and battles. He fights for the truth and helps others see the truth as well. And Psalm 1 boils life down into just two ways to live. Which way will we go? Which leads to point number one. We only have two choices, either to live for God or live for self. Let me say that again. We have only two choices, to live for God or live for self. The psalmist simplifies life down to just two choices, two decisions, two options, two ways of living, live to please God or live to please self. This idea gets right down to the heart of the matter. It goes right to our motives of why we do what we do as humans. Our motives reveal who we love, who we are worshiping, and what we truly care about, what we're really living for. Because every decision we make is either to please God or please ourselves. Let me say that again. Every decision that we make is either to please God or to please ourselves. Remember, there's no neutral ground. There's no middle position. So the question is, how do we know if we are living to please God or please self? How do we know? Well, Scripture calls us to examine ourselves to see if we are living to please God or to please self. And one way to do this is to take an isolated situation that we've been in, and it can be either a good or a bad situation, and ask some heart-probing questions that will reveal our motivation in that incident. I want to give us five questions that we can ask ourselves in any given situation. That'll help us be able to gauge our motives just a little clearer. The first question is this. What was the situation? What was the situation? As I've mentioned, we can use any situation. So the first question is, what was the situation? Number two, what were you thinking in that situation? What were you thinking in that situation? Number three, what did you want in that situation? What did you want in that situation that you're facing? Number four, what was the results of the situation? 
What was the results of the situation? Number five, were you trying to please God or please yourself in that situation? The fifth question asks, were you trying to please God or please yourself in that situation? Because the time we get down to the fifth question, we probably have a better gauge to actually answer the fifth question. So let's make up a scenario. And I think what we'll do is use the husband's in the congregation. And I'm sort of off the hook on this one because my wife's not here this morning. So I want us to use the above questions to examine our motivations in a particular situation. So the first question asks, what was the situation? Well, the situation was our wife was working really hard and cleaning the house, and we decided as good husbands to help her. So we started washing the dishes, right? We're good husbands. But the second question asks, what were we thinking in that situation? So what was behind why we actually helped our wife with the dishes? Well, we were thinking it looks really bad that we as husbands are sitting around while our wife does all the work, so we decide to help her with the dishes, right? We also were thinking that helping our wife with the dishes means we may be able to get some brownie points to decide what we'll do on our next date night. Well, let's go to our third question that asks, what did we want in that situation? What did we want in that situation? And this is a tough question because there was a part of us as husbands, that wanted to help our wife, right? We actually did want to help our wife. But the more we think through the situation, we realized we helped because we wanted to go to that new steakhouse that opened up down the road. And instead of going to our wife's favorite vegetarian buffet, (laughs) oh, And we figured helping her with the housework would seal the deal. So the fourth question asks, what was the result of the situation? What was the result of the situation? Well, the results were we helped our wife and she was happy. That's a great thing. But the final question gets down to the heart of the matter. What is our motivations? Were we trying to please God or please ourselves in that particular situation? Well, I mean, we wanted to please our wife to some extent. I mean, we did. And make her happy, but honestly, we wanted to choose where we would go on a date night, right? So we realized that our motives were not as innocent or pure or right as we hoped. We helped mostly to please ourselves instead of God in this situation. So as we can see that these questions help us to get below the surface, to gauge our own motives just a little more accurately. And these questions we can use any time for ourselves. We can even do this as husbands and let our wife ask us these five questions every situation that we face. Okay, maybe not. I can see it now. Husbands watching football, that's the situation. And 
wife comes and says, "Hun, what were you thinking when you watched that football game, right? No, I'm just kidding. But the point is we need to examine ourselves because on autopilot, we will end up usually wanting to please ourselves. But let's go back to Psalm 1. Turn back to Psalm 1. And we'll see the two people that are described in this psalm. We're going to do a quick fly overview on the two people. The person who lives for God is called in verse 1, blessed. In verse 3, it says he's like a tree that grows by the water, by the stream. And then in verse 6, it says this person is righteous and is watched by God. The other person who lives for self in verse 1 is called wicked, sinner, scoffer. Those aren't very good titles, by the way. Verse 4 compares them to chaff, which is the worthless part of the seed. It's the shell that the seed comes out of. And then in verse 6, it ends saying that the wicked person will perish. So let's break down Psalm 1, and we'll start in verse 1. And we'll start with the, the very first word that comes in Psalm 1. And it says, blessed. And this word blessed means fulfilled. It means satisfied. It means the happy one. The one that God is blessing is what it means. So let's read Psalm 1-1 in its entirety, and it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the psalmist says God brings fulfillment to the one who does not follow the counsel of the wicked. It does not follow the counsel of the world, which leads to point number two. The wicked follow counsel from the world. Point number two says the wicked follow counsel from the world. Well, what is counsel from the wicked? What is counsel from the world? Because often when we think about wicked counsel, we may think about killing someone or robbing a bank or doing something that seems just right blatantly wrong or something outright sinful. But counsel from the wicked means that we follow the world's supposed wisdom, the world's way, if you may. Here's some examples of some of the world's counsel. The world tells us that life is about pursuing happiness at all costs. That means the person we marry, we marry because they make us happy. And we divorce a person when they make us unhappy because, remember, the motivation is happiness. Happiness is the goal at all cost. The world says that couples should live together before they get married. The world says couples need to make sure that they are compatible before they finally tie the knot. The world's counsel says, that we should never spank our children as parents. That we should never correct our child by spanking them because psychologists would say that could hurt their psyche. And we need to do positive reinforcements because we want to build their self-esteem. These are the world's philosophies. This is the counsel from the wicked that lead us down a road, down a path away from God. Point number three says this, sinful decisions made today 
become sinful habits that are formed tomorrow. Let me say that again. Sinful decisions made today become sinful habits that are formed tomorrow. Sin starts out as a choice, but in due time, it becomes habitual, a practice, a way of life, and being enslaved to that sin is what happens. The 10-year-old boy who starts looking at pornography today becomes a sexual addict as an adult tomorrow. The child who throws temper tantrums today without being disciplined by his parents could have anger problems and anger issues tomorrow as an adult. The psalmist says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Who are we listening to for our advice, for our counsel as believers? Are we listening to the world's counsel? What practices or habits do we have in our life right now that are sinful? Let's go back to Psalm 1. Verses 1 and 2. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the psalmist says that the blessed one does not follow the world's teachings or philosophies. No, this person is passionate about Christ. Why? Well, God's word here says that he delights in God's truth, so much so that he meditates on it day and night. That means it's always on his mind. It's always on its heart. Point number four says this. The righteous follows counsel from the Lord. Point number four says, the righteous follow counsel from the Lord. They follow counsel from God because they think about, focus on, memorize, spend time in God's word. Meditating is sort of like worrying. When we worry, we play back the scenario over and over and over in our minds. And the same is true with meditating on God's word. We think about God's word over and over and over again. God's word is then in our minds. It's in our hearts. But the real question is, how do we begin to actually meditate, spend time in God's word? It's not easy in our busy, distracted world. But let me give us just three quick tips to bring scripture into our daily lives. The first one is this. We have to schedule time to study God's word. We have to, we have to schedule time to study God's word. And I know Many of us, including myself, do not like to have schedules, especially in God's Word. It makes it so mechanical. But the reality of it is, without scheduling a time in God's Word, we just won't be consistent in studying Scripture. This could mean in the morning before everyone gets up, before we go to work. It could be at lunchtime. It could be in the evening. We want to study God's Word whenever the best time for you to be able to quiet your mind and spend time with the Lord. We need to do this. Second tip. The second tip is we will need to have a plan of action to study God's word. 
The second tip is we will need to have a plan of action to actually study God's word. And this could mean like going through a one-year Bible reading, which, by the way, we offer in the well. It's right on the wall. You can get a one-year Bible reading where it's laid out for you to follow every day. Or you could just start reading through the New Testament and take a chapter a day and study it and spend time in it and look at what the author is trying to say and then reflect on and examine your own heart from what the author is saying. Third tip, we need to turn to our Bibles like we turn to technology. We need to turn to our Bibles like we turn to technology. Many times the internet is just a touch away on our phones and we turn to the daily news or to sports highlights or we look at Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest. We could use some of that time to meditate on God's word instead. The point is, whatever ways we can become more focused on meditating on the Word of God, the further we can build godly habits into our lives. Well, let's turn back in our Bibles to Psalm 1, verse 3. Psalm 1, verse 3, where we will see the righteous growing in godly habits. And it says this. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So as the wicked form sinful habits, the righteous form godly habits. So we get this picture of the one who loves God as compared to a tree. The tree is by the water, it says, by the stream. So we see this as a healthy tree with strong roots. The tree bears much fruit. It thrives under all conditions in whatever season the tree is in, it says. But similarly, the righteous is the one who is submitted to Christ as Lord and Savior. He or she is made positionally right before God because of the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ alone, which we call justification, right? But this person continues to grow in the Lord, which we call sanctification. And it says he's like the tree planted by the stream and continues to bear fruit in whatever season. This person tries to make decisions that pleases God. As verse 1 tells us that they delight and meditate on the word day and night. So they look to God's word for their counsel. They turn to God's word how to love their spouse. They follow God's word in training their children. They look to God's word when handling conflict with others. They turn to God's word when trials and problems come their way. They follow counsel from God's word on how to handle the finances. They are living life through the lens, through the word of God. Why? Because they love God. Because they have a relationship, a live, living, breathing relationship with Christ. Which leads to point number five. Godly decisions made today become godly habits that are formed tomorrow. Let me say that again. Godly decisions made today become godly habits that are formed tomorrow. 
Paul tells young Timothy to train or discipline himself in godliness. Like Timothy, we must make decisions that are pleasing to God, which will lead to practicing what is right before God, which will form habits that will glorify God in the future. Do we see the pattern? We can't just cruise and think we're going to be disciplined in our lives before the Lord. What godly habits are we forming in our marriage? What godly habits are we developing in our home? Are we learning to love others? Are we learning to sacrifice for others? Are we learning to serve others? Are we growing in godly habits? Well, let's look back at verse 3. Verse 3, Psalm 1. And it says this, I'm going to read the last part of verse 3, and it says, Its leaves does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers, it says. So the strong tree does not grow weak or tired under changing seasons or severe weather. Its leaves, it says, never wither. This is comparable to the believer again. We will have storms come our way. We will have issues, problems, and trials. We will have tough circumstances, painful experiences. People will dislike us. People will even hate us. The road will often seem lonely and trying. But through this all, the righteous will continue to grow, continue to mature, continue to be strengthened by the Lord. Life will not be left up to chance. We will not be controlled by circumstances or people. We will continue to delight, to feed on, continue to meditate, focus on the word of God for our strength. Let's go to verse 4. And it says this, and it goes back to the wicked. And it says this about the wicked. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind blows and drives away. The psalmist actually says here, he goes from describing the righteous who are the tree planted by the stream to the wicked who are compared the chaff, the worthless part of the the seed. The wicked waste their life to the point that the psalmist says they are altogether worthless. Not only is their ways worthless, but they themselves are altogether worthless, the Bible says. Instead of being a child of God, they're an enemy of God, enemy of the cross. They continue to rebel, fight, and battle against God in his ways because they're walking in their own ways, following the ways of this world. Let's go down to the final verse, verse 6 here. Verse 6 of Psalm 1, and it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We see the final analysis. We see the crescendo. We see the conclusion of what happens to the righteous and what happens to the wicked, which leads to point number six. The righteous are significant to God, while the wicked are worthless. Let me say that again. The righteous are significant to God, while the wicked are are worthless. The lives of the righteous will be under God's sovereign protection as children of God. And finally, it says they will spend eternity with God in heaven. And 
The lives of the wicked will be destroyed because they are an enemy of God. And finally, they will face God's wrath for eternity. It is heartbreaking to think of friends and family who do not know the Lord. But what a privilege, what a joy, what an opportunity we have as to help them get to know the Lord. And God often uses us as instruments into, in his hands to help bring those that we love most into faith. So it's important for us to be sharing God's love, his grace. But it's also important to share the wrath, the immediacy of following the Lord. And obviously that's in the gospel. We have to share all that to those who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, in conclusion... Robert Frost wrote a poem called The Road Not Taken. One of the lines says, The two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. What road are we traveling on this morning? Are we traveling on the road less traveled, or are we on the busy highway, the one <clears throat> that everyone else is taking? Are we on the road that focuses on Christ? Or are we on the road that focuses on self? What choice will we make this morning? Our life, our future, will depend on what road we take. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you for your word that makes things so clear for us. It's so obvious to see that we only have two choices, to follow you or follow ourselves. And we recognize that following ourselves means we're actually following Satan. So, Father, give us wisdom today. Even those of us who are already believers, we have to battle every day to make decisions to glorify you. Walk in the spirit instead of the flesh, as Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 tells us. Help us to be diligent seekers of you. Help us to be diligent in our life. Help us to walk in repentance and, and be so thankful for the depth of your grace that covers all our sin. Help us to truly be mouthpieces to a world that is blinded to you. Thank you for today. We thank you for letting us come together to study your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.